All right, we're going to start a new series today. Try not to be too excited. Oh, this is fun. Look at the second page of my notes. There's going to be a biblical slant to things today, I think. That was funny. So we're starting a new series, and we're starting a series on wisdom. Wisdom. And I can tell you're all really excited about it. The excitement in this room is palpable. I gotta, it's like you can hardly contain yourselves. Uh, we're going to do a series on wisdom. And, and as I started to put this thing together, look at this, my nice blank screen. This is on purpose. I sit down often and you know, I, I think through what the sorts of things we want to talk about in the series and where we're coming from and the scriptures and we read the scriptures. And, and I came down to the word wisdom and, and uh, Heidi and I just been praying. We're like, God has just been leading us in this idea of wisdom. And we want to do a series on it. So then I create some PowerPoint stuff to go with it, images, because images really help us connect to it. And when I put the word wisdom into the Google search, I came up with images that I was like, what does this have to do with wisdom? And then I realized that Google only knows what to bring up when you ask a word because other people have asked Google, Google, show me an image for wisdom. And so I wanted to ask you, before I show you what I finally came up with, when you think of the word wisdom, what picture or image comes to your mind? And now we're just going to shout them out. What pictures or images come to mind when you hear the word wisdom? What? Solomon. Okay, King Solomon. An owl. Dumbledore. Dumbledore did not come up, surprisingly. What? What? Athena. Athena was wise. I thought she was just beautiful. Oh, okay. I get him confused. Lady wisdom from Proverbs, okay? Images, pictures, like, like uh, things that you would see, like a picture that somebody took. A what? A tree? What? Gandalf. We're in a fantasy world over here. Dumbledore, Gandalf, the only things that are wise. Is there anything else? What do you got? Gray-haired old guys, you're only saying that because uh, Kermit the Frog. There is wisdom to Kermit the Frog. So here's some of the things that came up. Libraries, books, um, a, a, a brain with uh, like firing electrons in it. So it was snappy, yeah. It was interesting to me that Google, when you ask Google what images support wisdom, it was all knowledge. Everything was about what you know. And uh, the image I wound up thinking of was the owl, uh, which is right here. It's the next image. The next picture is wise like an owl. And it occurred to me, I was like, it, partly I thought the owl, I think, because Heidi had been talking about birds last week. So it popped into my head. She's talking about birds. What bird do you want to be? And I thought, I want to be a toucan because they live in tropical places and eat tropical fruits and have very few predators. And they're really good looking. You know, everybody sees that giant beak and uh, I'd be a toucan. But then the owl came to mind and I actually could could go for owl, but I thought an owl because owls are so wise. And then why are owls wise? I mean, what makes an owl wise? They, they regurgitate the bones of their prey out of their mouth and leave it at the bottom of a tree. What's so wise about that? I don't know. And I came across the reason that owls are considered wise comes from a little poem, a nursery rhyme from the like 1500s. And so I brought it to share with you. Isn't that exciting? It's like show and tell. 
There was an owl lived in an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Oh, if men were all like that wise bird. Isn't that nice? And especially the part about, oh, if men were like that, because obviously a woman wrote this poem. She's like, if men would just stop talking and listen. So there's a wisdom to the owl that he listens more than he speaks, right? That's a wise thing to do, or she, because owls can be both male and female. You're right, Doug. Uh, so that's, that's the image we're going to use. That's our, our, our wise owl. And we're going to be just, you know, basically we're going to be every week, you know, we come here, Heidi and I are laying out pearls of wisdom, right? You guys know it. You come in, you're tripping on them, you're all over the floor. It's a mess in here with the wisdom that comes out every week. So you're like, whoa, a series on wisdom, big deal. But we want to talk about wisdom itself. Yes, I know it's messy. You got to be careful when you step on pearls of wisdom. If you've ever stepped on a Lego, it's very similar. It's very painful. But the pearls of wisdom are, are great and wonderful. We want to talk about how we receive wisdom and where wisdom comes from. So, God keeps bringing wisdom up for Heidi and I, this concept, this idea. It's what we've been hearing over and over again, whether it's in podcasts or our own scriptural reading or uh, talking to friends and neighbors. Just this word wisdom just keeps coming up, and, and God keeps leading us in it. So that's the first reason we wanted to do a series on wisdom. Um, but also because the last four years of life, I don't know if you have noticed, but they've been kind of hard on all of us. I mean, the last four or five years, I, I, saw, I saw a cartoon image this week, and it was a set of stairs that went up and up and then down and then down, and it made this, like, endless loop of set of stairs. And at each corner, it said, COVID, exit this way. And it was like this, you know, we just keep going around this loop. And it feels like we have had that, you know, we had COVID, and there's wars, and we see what's going on in the news in Israel today, and um, it's just, I was said to Heidi yesterday, and I think I mentioned it in prayer this morning, like, I look around right now is not a time I'm really excited to be living in, right? We just, the way the world is, the way people are treating each other, the difficulties we have in relating to one another on top of our political division, all that stuff, it's just been a hard time. And at the same time, we can say, you know, I don't really love living at this point in history, at this time, this day. Uh, but also, it's the only point in history we get to live, right? We don't, we don't get to go back into to 1949 or 1950 right after the war and everything's rebuilding and it's prosperity and all you had to do was rub $2 bills together and you could make a retirement out of it. You know, we didn't, we didn't have this, this the ease of life. We just don't get to go back to those things. And we live in, in a time now where there's all these problems and everybody is screaming solutions, right? That's, that's kind of what politics are right now. Everybody's shouting as loud as they can what their solution to the problem is. And we live with this sense of urgency that we've got to fix these things. We've got to figure out how to fix the church. We've got to figure out how to fix our politics. We've got to figure out how to fix the problem in Israel and how to fix the problem in Ukraine. And the thing is, those are great questions, how to fix things, how can we solve things. The urgency that we feel in the crises that we're facing cause us actually to move toward the quick fix. They cause us to move toward the band-aid solutions. Not things that are necessarily wise in the long term. Like right now, in our day, we hear like, how do we fix the problem? Or here's my solution. We rarely, rarely, rarely ever hear somebody says, would this be a wise thing to do? 
would this be the wise way to move forward? And I really think that when I say that, you kind of go, oh, right, right, I haven't heard anybody say that recently, especially in the news or whatever. But at the same time, there's something in your gut saying, actually, I would really like it if somebody would say that, right? Because the next reason we want to do this series is because we actually all long for wisdom. I, I mentioned earlier, I mean, it was just Richie and I. Richie is the guy that was playing the cajon this morning. If you haven't met Richie, he has a wonderful mustache, and he is a good guy. So you want to meet him and his mustache. It's over there. Doug has a nice mustache, too, but it's lost in the beard. Nothing like his. Yeah, hits on point. Anyway, I was saying to Richie, hey, we're doing a series on wisdom. And he goes, oh, I could use some of that. I mean, how many of you would say that? Like, right now, how many of you could just, I could use some wisdom? Right. We all want it. I mean, most of us, and I, this, I have this sneaking suspicion. For 13, 14 years now, I've had this sneaking suspicion that nobody comes to church thinking, at the end of this service, I want to be more stupid. I want to be less wise than I was before. I want to go through life making poorer decisions. I want to you know, make sure that I can absolutely wreck every relationship I have. Well, nobody really wants that, right? Now, you walk up on campus on Thursday night, and you might think otherwise, but generally speaking, uh, in our sober moments, we all want to be wise, and we all want to walk wisely and live with wisdom. Because wisdom is something that enables us to respond to the things going on in our lives, to our circumstances, to our relationships, in ways that eventually will create a beautiful life, right? Create a beautiful world, create a beautiful nation, create a beautiful uh, community of, of people, of humans. That's why we want wisdom. So the question is, where do we begin to receive wisdom? Where do we begin to grow in wisdom? How do we pursue it? So we're going to start with an assumption. Uh, because we are here at church, most of you are here of your own free will, most of you. I'm looking at Doug, he's like, I'm not sure. If you are here by your own free will, we're just going to assume that, you know, Jesus is something to you. Right? At the very least, you're interested in him. Um, and at the most, he is, you know, the savior of your life, and he is your only hope, okay? So this is, we're going to start with this assumption that there is a God, and it is not me, and that God wants to speak wisdom to his people, because his whole goal is to create a new and beautiful humanity. That's what Ephesians was all about, creating a new and beautiful humanity. And so God wants to do that, so he wants to give his people wisdom. So we're starting from his word, the Bible, this is the place, it's a living, breathing document that still speaks to us. It was written thousands of years ago, not to us, but it is for us today, and it is still alive. And we're going to be in various places throughout the Bible, but rooted this morning in Proverbs chapter 1, which is, you know, kind of the obvious thing. I, I, I like to avoid the obvious. I don't know if you're like that, but, oh, I don't want to go to the obvious place of the Bible. Let's find the more obscure place because it's going to be more interesting. But as I read Proverbs this last week, I was like, oh my gosh, where's this book been? Because I have clearly read this before, but somebody changed Proverbs when I wasn't looking. And Proverbs is, it's shocking in, in how it speaks to us today. So we're going to look at Proverbs. Um, if you got your Bible, open it to Proverbs chapter 1. Now I'm reading part of Proverbs chapter 1 and part of Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 in chapter 1 and verses 1 through 12, beginning of 12a, just the first half of the verse. Um, in Proverbs chapter 2. Let me read it to you. Ready? 
Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Pretty simple. We know who wrote it, right? (laughs) Solomon, son of King David. David of Goliath fame, right? Solomon of massive wealth and great wisdom fame. That's what he's known for. This is what he has to say. This is talking about now what the book is for. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young. Let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles." The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just a quick pause. So who's this, who's this series for? Who's this book for? It's for people who are stupid, and it is for people who are really wise already, okay? It is for people who are young, and it is for people who are old. It is amazing that wisdom comes to all of us in all places and at all times, and it is for each of us. Then it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So today you can know from this point forward whether you're going to walk out this door as wiser or a fool, and you get to choose. And you know what the the, the dividing line is? Those of you who are wise will listen to the rest of the sermon. And if you decide to stop listening right now, I'm not going to call you a fool, but Solomon might have Okay, chapter 2. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as, as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. So the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield for those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice and preserving the ways of his faithful ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Prudence will watch over you, and understanding will guard you. It will save you from the way of evil, from those who speak perversely. So, Father, I pray this morning as we start into this idea of wisdom, that we would begin to be a people in our time, in our day, to be people of wisdom that we wouldn't walk as fools, that we wouldn't be caught in the clamor and the speed of the culture in which we live in. We wouldn't be caught up in the noise of all the solutions, but that we'd be able to stop and pause and say, is this wise? And is how I'm living wise? And to walk in the ways of wisdom as you've given them to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few, few insights from this passage just to set up the series, okay? This is just really all I'm doing today is setting up what we're going to be talking about. We're gonna, as we go forward, we'll be talking about the wisdom of others, the wisdom of seasons, the wisdoms of all sorts of different places that, that we can receive the wisdom of God and grow in it. Um, but I wanted to just kind of talk about a few things about wisdom this morning from this text to help us understand what it is that we are looking at and what it is we're asking God for. And the first thing is this, is that wisdom is ancient, this isn't something that's new, 
right? This isn't something that's been cooked up uh, last week for a social media blitz. It's not something that TikTok stars are coming up with and sharing with us. Uh, you know, it's this new thing that's just now for our generation, like, you know, nuclear fission or something. It's, it's something that's been around forever. In fact, every culture uh, throughout history up until around 14, 1500 had people that spoke about wisdom. It was a big part of the conversation. Uh, you have people like Socrates and Plato and Solomon and many, many more. Every culture is like in China, there's Confucius and Buddha. And you have all these people and they're talking about wisdom because people were very interested in wisdom. And it was what they talked about. That's what the ancients talked about. But the problem is something happened in our world and we stopped talking about it. And what we started talking about instead was, uh, was we started talking about knowledge. It happened, in, in, in the, and oddly enough, in the age of the Enlightenment, okay? At the point in which human beings said, oh, we have transcended above these ancient ways, and we now understand the ways of science, and we understand how, how the universe now works and spins and moves, and all of these things are really important, we moved past our need to talk about wisdom, and we just started talking about knowledge, how things work. Knowledge, literally during the Enlightenment, replaced God. Interestingly, in the book of Proverbs, when it talks about wisdom, it uses the word, the spirit of wisdom in the, the, the Hebrew, and it's the ruach, it's the spirit and presence of God that hovered over the waters at creation in the book of Genesis. We're talking about God, and in the Enlightenment, we replaced this idea of wisdom, set it aside, and we just looked at knowledge. But to make matters worse now, as we've progressed as a society, as we've moved on as a culture, as we've gotten greater and greater levels of knowledge and scientific discovery, all of which are very good, we have moved away now from knowledge and into the information age. We now live in an age that's more concerned with how much information you have access to, how quickly you have access to it, and, uh, and that's about it. We, it does not, doesn't matter what you do with that information, right? You can just look at it. You can just read it. You can see the news articles. You don't have to understand how it impacts you. You don't have to understand how it changes the world. We're just an information age. We're collecting facts rather than knowledge. So do you guys see that progression that's happened? Where once we saw we were pursuing wisdom, then we started just pursuing knowledge, which knowledge is good, but if you look at uh, the movie Oppenheimer, for example, you can understand the difference between wisdom and knowledge. We have knowledge about how to split an atom. The question of the movie is, was it wise to split the atom? But we've moved past that knowledge piece now into just information, which are disconnected and, and scattered, and they don't necessarily come together to create a picture from which we can live our life. The invitation of Scripture and the invitation of God is for His people to learn to walk wisely, to not just live in facts and knowledge, but to live in wisdom. We need facts and knowledge in order to create the picture, but at the end of the day, it's what we do with our facts and knowledge and how we walk it out that determines whether we are wise or unwise. Secondly, wisdom has a source. There's a place where it does come from. And it's not just old things and old ideas. It's not just that the ancients were into wisdom, so we got to go talk to the ancients about this stuff. But the wisdom that we are seeking comes from God, right? It comes from God and God alone. It says in verse uh, 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, right? 
It's not the scientific method, which is good and important. It's not, it's not the news sources that you read. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. We learn from God what is wise and what is unwise. If you look at that sentence backwards, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We, we look at the sentence backwards and it makes even more sense. So what we want to find is wisdom. We have to find its beginning in God. Um, when Heidi and I, a few years ago, we had the privilege to go hike in Arizona at a place called The Wave. And I've shown all of you pictures on my phone. And if you have not seen pictures on my phone, I will show you later because it is amazing. But it is in the middle of nowhere. It is this geological formation that looks like a stone wave made out of red and white rock. It is just this massive, like somebody took a paintbrush that they had dipped in reds and browns and whites and got it just like lined up, and then they swiped it and made this like water wave. And you have to drive into the middle of nowhere in northern Arizona, like miles and miles in the middle of nowhere. Then you have to go down this dirt track, four by four. You had to have, you had to have all-wheel drive vehicle, four-wheel drive vehicle. We had a big Jeep, you know, and the tires are going up and you're up and down and you're having to hold on for your dear life. And, and you get out and then you're at a parking area. It's like somebody put a parking lot in the middle of nowhere. And then you have to walk from that parking lot and there are like 30 trails in that area. In order to get to the wave, you had to start at the right one. And that's the same with wisdom. In order to get to wisdom, you have to begin with the right trail. You have to begin by pursuing God. It's not something that you could just, you just go to the wise person and receive. I, I see you as a person that is wise beyond your years. Anybody ever told you that? That's a very strange thing to say to somebody. I've been told that many times. I don't even know what it means exactly. But we go to that person, we're like, I'm going to receive wisdom from them. We're seeking human wisdom, but the wisdom of God transcends human wisdom. And so we have to begin our trail in the right place with God. The beginning of wisdom is God. It's not a study. It's not facts. It's not more knowledge. It's, it's a person. It's an entity with, with personhood, with opinions, with thoughts, with ideas, with character, with values that cares about you. So that makes sense, Right? that the beginning of wisdom would be with God, the God who created the universe. If there's a design behind the world and its existence, it would make sense that the one who designed it all would know how best to live a life that makes it beautiful, that makes your life beautiful, that makes your relationships beautiful, and what your ultimate end would be, not just heaven, but the ultimate purpose of your life. If that's the case, then God is going to know which decisions and which ways of being are going to lead to you living a life that flourishes, that brings hope and peace and love and kindness, that, that restores rather than destroys. In verse 2, 5, it says this, that the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God is the source. But it's not just God who is the source, but it's the fear of God. Now, that one's always tripped me up. I don't know if it's tripped you up. I know it's tripped up lots of people. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. I don't know. It's like, what? Being afraid of something? Now, it makes sense if, if that something is a bear. I went hiking out by Jeff and Angie's cabin in the woods this last week, and I found bear tracks and bear poop everywhere. And let me tell you, I was a little bit afraid. <laughs> like, Kept my ears open, kept my eyes open. I didn't want a bear barreling out of the woods at me and, you know, hitting me shoulders on and like, you look like food. And I didn't want that. 
So there's a certain amount of wisdom in being afraid of bears when you're in the woods, but I don't think that's the fear that this is referring to. It's not referring to being afraid of something because it's going to destroy you, although there is an element of it. When the Bible talks about the fear of God, it's talking about, it's talking about knowledge. It's talking about relationship. That you would know God in such a way that, that He is a person, that He has values, He has character, and that you love Him and he, you lo- he cares about you in return, He knows you. There's this relationship element in the fear of God. Let me put it this way. God knows you design-wise, atoms, organs, impulses, okay? He, he understands how the atoms of your body have been organized in order to be a physical presence. He understands how the organs have been formed in your body to create a living, breathing human being. He understands how the impulses of your mind work and have been formed and shaped so that your heart beats, your lungs take in air, that you know how to put food in your food hole, that you know how to shake hands with your next-door neighbor, but also beyond that, how the impulses of your mind have been formed by your family of origin, by the things that have happened to you, by the politics that you pay attention to, by the, the, the food that you consume, all of these things, the impulses of your life. God looks at you and understands all of that. Whoa mind-blowing. God also, though, knows your place in the big picture. He knows your origin, your location, and your destination. He knows where you came from, where you were born, but who you were born to, what that family was like, how they treated you, how they raised you, both the things that were spoken and the things that were unspoken, how great-grandpa is in your bones even to this day, and we carry the hurts and pains of the past as well as the positive values. He knows your current location in history and in time. In 2023, in October, in this little space, in the midst of all the stuff going on outside this building, he knows right where you're at in the midst of it, and he knows your destination, how you were designed to walk through this time and how it will bring flourishing and goodness to the world if you walk wisely. God knows you thought, word, and deed. He knows what goes on in your brain beyond what you say, right? You say you value one thing, but you do another. You think another very frequently. He knows the thoughts in your mind, your best thoughts and your worst thoughts. He knows what you say and what you say you believe and how it may not line up with how you act, your spoken values and your implicit values. He also knows what you actually do, seen and unseen. So when I say that you are known by God, I mean you are known, right? There is, there is nobody who knows you better. There is nobody who sees you more clearly. This is the God that we go to for wisdom. It makes me feel very small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things to know how deeply and fully I am known, and yet how deeply and fully I am loved in the midst of that. And God invites you to know him in the same way, to discover this God who is a person, not just an idea, this God who loves, who weeps, who hurts, not just stands afar from things, who suffers along with creation. He invites you to know him, and this is what it means to live in the fear of God. It's to live in that relationship, but to know your place within that relationship. To understand there is a God, but it is not me. There is a God, and it is not you. 
we have agency, we have choice, we have the ability to make our way through life, but God stands above it all and is inviting us to listen to Him. That's why the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, that we place Him first, right? There's a God, and because He is God, He has all the right, He has all the hope, He has all the value, He has all of these things that that make us able to live a beautiful life. And so we place ourselves beneath Him. That is the beginning of wisdom. Knowing who you are in relationship to God will bring a little bit of fear, like the bear, but a whole lot of, I am now in my right place. It's humility. Lastly, the thing that I want you to know about wisdom, so the first is that it's, it's, it's ancient. It goes back to creation. The second thing is that the source is God. And the third thing is this, is that when we apply wisdom to our life, it actually creates beauty. When we take the wisdom of God and we live it out, when we ask ourselves at school and at work, is this the wise decision? Is this the wise way to be? And we hear from God and we walk in it, every time it's going to create beauty. It boils down, oh, I'm skipping ahead, sorry. Solomon actually says in verses uh, 9 through 12 here in chapter 2, that with wisdom comes understanding what is righteous, what is just, and what is equitable. These are three things that we long for in our society. You can, you, all you got to do is turn on any politician, and you can hear them uh, say, use these words in variations, right? We want equality for people. We want to bring justice to our nation. We, and it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on. You could be on the Republican side and say, we don't want to bring, allow, continue allowing uh, criminals to come across our borders. We want justice for our people. Uh, we want justice for African Americans who have suffered a great deal under the oppression of white people. Okay, there's the two political extremes, but both of them want the same thing, justice. And we can all go, wait a minute, that's not just, or this isn't just, or that isn't just. But the heart and the longing is for justice. Equality, same thing, right? Doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're on, we want to bring equality. And we want to bring righteousness. Now, nobody uses the word righteousness anymore, right? That's just kind of a church word. And unless we use it in the terms of self-righteous, right? Oh, she is so self-righteous. He is so self-righteous. But we do have this sense of rightness about things, right? That it would be right if we were taxed less, or it would be right if those who had more money paid more money into things to cover for the people who have less. It would be right in the world if children wouldn't go hungry in our, in our American homes or even in Haitian homes. We all know that there is a sense of rightness, and that's what righteousness really is, where we walk in rightness and in the way, the, thing, the way things were designed and made to be, as God set them up. That's what righteousness is. And Solomon says, look, if you seek wisdom, you're going to understand what all of these things are. And when you understand them, you're going to accomplish the thing that every human wants, a life that is flourishing, a life that is full, that is good, that is beautiful. Not just a life that is filled with entertainment, but a life that is filled with meaning, not just a life that is, that is filled with power, but a life that is filled with hope. This is what humanity has longed for since creation, since the fall. Wisdom 
comes to us as we pursue God and understand who He is and who we are, and these things build in us this righteousness, this justice, this equity. Not just what is fair in my opinion, but a nuanced perspective of God who sees every human life and how they work together. What is equitable treatment for every human life, no matter where they're from or what their gender? Solomon then says that prudence will watch over you. You'll, you'll know what's best to do in every circumstance as you pursue wisdom. Prudence is wisdom in action, right? It's, it's choosing not to spend the $10 on a coffee today because you have to pay your bills at the end of the month and you know you don't have the money to buy the coffee. That's just basic, simple prudence. Wisdom will watch over you and teach you prudence. But Paul, Solomon goes on to say it's not just in how you handle your bills. It's going to keep you out of the house of the prostitute. It's going to keep you from destroying your relationships by pursuing things that are not yours and people that are not yours and pleasures that weren't ever meant for you outside of certain relationships. Wisdom is always moving us toward a new creation. Again, back to the book of Ephesians, right? The whole thing was about being the new family of Jesus, being the new humanity, new creation, what it looks like to live as people set apart. And this is what wisdom leads us to. It's moving us toward new creation, even in the hard places and the hard decisions of our lives, even in the circumstances like COVID in the last several years, how do we do? We do masks? Do we not do masks? Do we, we are moving toward a new humanity, new creation, God is shaping us even in those hard decisions, even in the hardest things, because wisdom doesn't always lead us down the easy path. <clears throat> I've been reading this book uh, by Wendell Berry. highly recommend Wendell Berry. Um, and it's talking about life in uh, the farming, kind of the farming world of Kentucky, moving from, from the early uh, 1920s to the 1950s. And it's this big shift in farming where we move from uh, horses pulling things to tractors to from farming a small farmstead to farming hundreds of acres. And big thing that he is asking is, was this a wise decision? Was this a wise move? And he begins to kind of outlay the things that we lose in the process. One of the things that he says, though, about being a part of this community, and it was just so beautiful to me because it made me feel like, man, this is, like, this is what it means to be a part of this community here. He says, I came, this is a, it's a fictional story by a man named Jaber, Jaber Crow. I moved into this community to enjoy the pleasures it had to offer and to suffer what I had to suffer. There's this sense of that wisdom leads to a beautiful life, but it doesn't necessarily lead to a life of ease. We live in a culture right now that says, if there is pain, something is wrong. If, if you are hurting relationally, then something is wrong. If you are, are experiencing, uh, you know, you don't have enough money to pay your bills and also to do all the fun things you want to do, then something is wrong. But for the last however many thousands of years humans have walked this earth, since the fall of man, we have lived in a world that had both pleasure and pain, that had both goodness and suffering, Suffering is not abnormal. It is a part of life. We fight it. We hate it, especially in our day. But wisdom would say, look, there is good and there is bad. Solomon goes on later in Proverbs to say, the sun shines on both the good and the evil, that both the evil man and the good man prosper. We grow in wealth and whatever. It, it just happens. It's just the way things are. And wisdom leads us to a life it causes us to walk in a way where we are able to say, look, 
all of the good of this world, this, this, this beauty, this righteousness, this love, this justice that I have, I can enjoy these things. But I also can, can hold on in the midst of suffering. I can also walk through pain with other people. And I can do it knowing that God is good, that God is present, that God is just, that God is righteous, and He is bringing all things to a good place. He is working all things together. So wisdom is always moving us toward new creation in hard places and in good places. The last thing I want you to know about wisdom, and this is probably the most important thing out of all of them, is that in order to receive wisdom, it requires, uh, the best word I could find is reflection. It requires reflection. Not something we're very good at in our culture, right? We're good at responding. We're good at reacting. We're good at giving the hot takes. <laughs> but pausing, slowing down long enough to reflect. Oh, why, why the word reflection? When I think of the word reflection, I think of looking in the mirror, right? The idea is you, you look into the pool and you see what looks back at you. You take the time to pause and to ponder. So wisdom is ancient. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom creates a beautiful life, but we get it by reflecting. Listen to these words in, in verses 2, 1 through 5. My child, if you accept my words and treasure them up, treasure up my commands within you, making your ear attentive, listening to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding, you're leaning in. If indeed you cry out, says cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. You're like, God, I want to understand. I'm looking at this. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to what you, I, I want to understand. It says, then, then you will receive wisdom. Then you will understand and fear the Lord. We got to slow down in order to receive the wisdom that God has for us. It's not just coming and receiving a, a three-point sermon or four-point sermon with a nice action statement at the end of it. It's not going to a devotional book and receiving the one thing that God has for you that day. It's taking the time to reflect on your past, on your present circumstances, on your future hopes, taking the time to reflect on the Word of God as He brings you and leads you through it, taking the time to ponder what it is that God is saying. Jesus said it this way, he who has ears, let him hear. Pay attention. Seek to understand. We have this idea now because we're such an information age that once we've collected the information, we're done. I see this all the time in our, uh, our, our Bible studies. Oh, people are, oh, I've read that book a thousand times. I've read it a hundred thousand times. I've just, I've read that book my whole, the book of John, I, I've learned it backwards and forwards. I've met people that have memorized whole books of the Bible, and yet didn't get it, right? We can, we can know all kinds of things and still not know those things. EHS, EHR, the classes that we teach, they've got these massive principles, really good ideas, big, big things that change and shape us. We can come and we can take the class once and say, oh, I took that class. But if you aren't living it, if it hasn't come out of you naturally, it's not affecting your relationships, you've learned nothing. It takes reflection. It takes time. It takes pondering and processing. I'd like to say that when I was 14 years old, my grandfather, who was an alcoholic and abusive and I never met, died and was buried. I didn't get to go to his funeral. I'd like to say that uh, I, I 
was sad about that, and that was the end of it. And it's over. But that is not the way the earthquake events of our life work. We have to seek knowledge, seek wisdom, seek understanding, ask God to give it to us, treasure it, ponder it, look at it, and see how it's affected us. Now I understand that I go back to that spot because that earthquake moment in my life affects how I relate to other people. It affects, it affects how I think about the world, whether it's safe or whether it's not safe. It affects uh, what, what is a good grandfather for me. Someday I hope to be a grandfather, but what do I know of being a good grandfather? I have to look to others. I have to watch wise others because I didn't have good grandfathers. But I wouldn't know that if I just said, oh, it happened and it's in the past. The same of Scripture. I can read the words of the Bible. I can know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the King James Version. But what does it mean that God so loved the world? To reflect on that love and to allow that love to begin to change me, that's the beginning of wisdom. God brings us back to the material of our lives over and over and over again to bring deeper and deeper and deeper levels of healing. God takes us back to the Scriptures, the same Scriptures. In fact, Scripture speaks of itself. If you read Genesis chapters 1 through 4, it is just repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, all the way through. Even the New Testament writers are going back, hey, you remember creation? Hey, you remember that? It's self-referencing because God is taking us deeper, <clears throat> deeper and deeper and deeper into the story of His love for us so that we would walk wisely in the world. As we reflect on the material of our lives, as we reflect on the Word of God, we learn wisdom and we grow in prudence. People will come to me frequently and be like, hey, can we have, a, have coffee? I just want to get some wisdom for you. I have this decision that I'm facing. I, I need to hear some wisdom from you. And I'm always like, well, I don't know how much wisdom I have. Now I realize that because I've spent years reflecting, years listening, that there is some wisdom in me. But there can be wisdom in you. It's not reserved for the privileged few, the elderly, the whiteheads. It's not reserved for the privileged few, those with pastor degrees or pastor titles. It is reserved for humans. And if you have a belly button, I think you probably are one. God has given us wisdom, and we can pursue it. And that's the invitation for you this morning. But the only way to get there is to be reflective people. And I should say, I want to speak from the eye in this, that I have struggled to reflect over the years. Because you know what? Reflecting is hard. It's not easy. It's not something that just comes naturally. Because we need to know right now what we need to do, right? Urgency. We need to know in this moment. When you need wisdom in a moment, it's, it's almost too late. Like You've had all of these months and years to be reflecting on your life and on the Word of God to find that wisdom in the moment, and that's why we have to go to others. I'm moving too fast often. i got to get things done now. I'm trying to make all the things work. All the pieces come together. I don't have the time to sit and reflect. I've filled up every bit of space I have. There's no margin for just living quietly. That's the, the thing about the book I was telling you about. The farming in those days was very different. You walked slowly behind horses. You needed to eat, so you went fishing. And fishing requires sitting for a very long time before you catch your dinner. Men used to hunt. We'd go out and we would spend days in the woods absolutely silent. 
That's where reflection happens. That's where wisdom comes. But we're just rushing. I'm just rushing, catching the bus, going to this thing, taking a kid over there, making this bill be paid, and do this. You know, you got to get all the things done. We don't have time for reflection. And lastly, because often when it comes down to reflecting, I'm scared of what I'll hear. I think that's all of us, right? Just a little afraid of what might come up, what we might hear, what we might have to face. The invitation of Proverbs and the invitation to you and I is to take the time to reflect and to receive wisdom. I actually have two questions for you this morning. Uh, The first one is this, and I want to give you a minute and maybe just write this down someplace in your journal uh, or a a notebook or on your your service notes. This is the first question for you. And we're going to give you a second to actually reflect. (laughs) What is one area of your life right now where you need wisdom? That's where we started. Who needed wisdom? Everybody raise their hands. What's one area that you need wisdom right now? Just take a moment and write that down. that one's the easier of the two questions. So I'm not going to spend as much time there because you probably knew right away. If you don't, take some more time this week. Because the second question is this. When can you give yourself some time to reflect so that you can begin receiving wisdom around that thing? To reflect on Scripture, to reflect on your life, to reflect with other people. Where can you give yourself some space just to think to listen. I'd like to end by praying for you. Proverbs 2, 3, and 5. If you put them together, smash them up, this is what it says. If you indeed cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You've got to ask. And I want to ask on your behalf this morning. So, Father, for every person in this room that has something written on a piece of paper that says, this is the area I need wisdom in, God, we come to you the knower of all things, the understander of all things, the creator of all things, and we ask for wisdom. We ask for insight. We ask for knowledge and understanding that we would walk wisely. God, I pray that you would prompt us to remember to reflect so that we can begin to be wise people, not people buffeted and tossed about by the winds and waves of of politics, of social media, of of wars and rumors of wars, but that we would be solid and secure walking in a way of life that is beautiful because we've listened and heard from you. Jesus, I pray that you would guide us in all understanding throughout this week and that we would grow in wisdom, that we would be a people of wisdom, a church of wisdom, and that your spirit of wisdom would rest upon each of us. The spirit that hovered over the waters would hover over each one of us this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing the doxology before we go?
If we're ever going to understand anything, it's got to come from God. So let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go and be wise people. And walk in the love of Jesus because Jesus loves you. And we love you too. We'll see you next week. Bye.